We're going to be picking up in verse 15 today. I'm going to pray for my daughter as well. She's at home sick, and I just got a text. She asked me to pray for her, so we're going to pray for her, okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We worship you. We bless your holy name. You are glorious. You're high and lifted up. Be exalted in our hearts. Be exalted in this place. Father, we've gathered here to bring you glory. We've gathered here to sing to you. We've gathered here to learn of you. And so, Father, thank you that we can come with confidence. We can come with eager expectation. We can come knowing that your word is sufficient and that we will receive the refreshment and the encouragement and the instruction and even the challenging that we need, Lord, to be able to stay the course, go the distance, and to run this this race. Father, I pray for everybody in the room here today as we get into your word that you would bless them, that you would encourage them and uh, just share something very special with them from your word as I teach it. And I do also lift up my daughter to you and she's at home sick. And so we just pray together and ask that you would bless her and give her uh, health, bring her back to full strength. Thank you for that precious little darling of mine. And as much as I love her, Father, I can't even begin to fathom your love for her and your love for us. And so we praise you for that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. All right. Well, over the last several weeks, we've been considering really one central concept. One central concept. Really, you could boil it down to one word. I'll give you a hint. Just by way of reminder, I hope you can remember what it is. Hope. Very good. We've been talking about hope. That was quite the hint. You know, that was really more of a giveaway. We've been talking about hope, except it's not hope in the way that I just used it. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's not, you know, hoping for the best, hoping that something may happen, though it might not. Biblical hope is altogether different. It is an eager expectation. It is a total confidence, a a total assurance. And we can have that because of the object of our hope. If we're hoping in ourselves and on our, our own abilities, our own resources, or we're hoping in other people, then yes, it's wishful thinking. But if we are hoping in God, we know He's faithful. We know that He is able and capable. He is worthy of all of our trust. And so we can have the highest level of confidence and assurance when it comes to him. Now, just to reset the context here of where we are at, Jesus is about to go to the cross the next morning. It's nighttime. He's in the upper room with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he has already told them that one of them is going to betray him, that they're all going to scatter, they're all going to leave him that Peter is going to deny even knowing him three times before the night is out, and he's already told them that he's leaving and where he's going they can't follow. So there's a real tension in the room. There's a real, they're, they're very distraught. And so Jesus, with that, interjects hope into the conversation. He brings hope to troubled hearts. And that's how the chapter opens, chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. And so Jesus encourages the disciples, comforts them with the reality that he's going to prepare a place for them, and where he's going, they will go to. 
when it's their time. The next week, we talked about the comfort of the Father, the assurance that we have with our Heavenly Father, something that we can definitely take comfort in. The following week, we talked about hoping in the promises of Jesus. And we have so many wonderful promises to to own, to cling to, to believe and trust and hope in. And today, we're going to talk about the hope of the Helper, the hope of the Holy Spirit. I love this passage. I'm very excited to share it with you today. And make no mistake, everything in this text is meant to bring immense comfort and hope. Amen? And uh, this ought to be one of the most comforting passages from all that we have considered. The person of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's incredible. What a gift. What a blessing from God. What resources we have available to us because of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful to learn about the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful that we are all going to learn together more about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives how we interact with the Holy Spirit, what we can expect from the Holy Spirit. And with that, I've titled this The Promise of the Holy Spirit, but there's really three things, three things that I want us to notice as we walk through this text, and it's really just stated in one simple statement. We're going to see the promise, the nature, and the role of the Helper in our lives. Jesus promised that He would send the Holy Spirit to us. We're going to learn about who the Holy Spirit is, His nature. It's important that we know who He is. And then we're going to learn about what His ministry is in our lives, what His role is in the lives of the believers. Amen? And so with that, let's go ahead and turn. You're probably already there. We're going to look together at verse 15. And it says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And how sweet is that? So last week we talked in depth about this concept of keeping Jesus' commandments because we love Him, right? It's because we love Him that we obey Him. And so I'm not going to rehash that today. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon. But I just want to state that again because in this text, in the following verses, Jesus says it four times. It's significant. And we we have to get that straight. If we love Him, we will obey Him. We don't obey Him to earn His love. We don't obey Him to get things from Him. We know who He is. We know what He's done in our lives. We love Him. And so from that place, from that posture of our heart, we desire to obey Him. Amen? And so I just want to say that again because that's a very weighty statement right there in verse 15. But I don't want that to be the focus today of the sermon. I really dealt with that in depth last week. So, Jesus has told the disciples 
that he's going away and they cannot follow him. I think that's really key here. We need to remember that. What Jesus seems to be saying here is that even though he's going to be gone, even though he's leaving, they can't follow him and he's going to be gone, if they love him, then they're still going to obey him. They're going to carry on. Jesus was with them for three years. He taught them. He discipled them. And he says, I'm going away and you can't follow me, but if you love me, you will continue on in the things in which you have been instructed. You will carry on the mission. Though Jesus is gone, though, however, physically, they won't actually be alone. Even though Jesus is gone physically, they won't actually be alone, Jesus says. He promises that he will send to them a helper. Jesus is going to send to his disciples a helper. Now, I just want to start by pointing out that this is an extension of Jesus' intercessory ministry. And that's a big word, and I'll, I'll break that down. But the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. He's our great high priest. Amen? Now, that might not mean a lot to us, honestly. I mean, in this day and age, we're not familiar with, you know, temple worship and having a priest and what that even means, but there is great significance in it. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will send to you a helper. Jesus is going to the Father on our behalf. That's what the priest did. People were not able to approach God. He was too holy for the people to come into His presence. So there was the priesthood, those men whose lives had been set apart to work and serve at the temple and to make sacrifice to God on behalf of the people so the people would go to the priest, the priest would go to God. But they could not go directly to God because God is unapproachable in His holiness. And so the priesthood was serious business. And that was a blessing because... Apart from that, nobody could approach God. Well, Jesus is our great high priest, and He, as our intercessor and mediator, has made the way for us to come directly into God's presence. There is one mediator between God and man. Finish it. The man, Christ Jesus. Amen. And so He is our high priest. He is our mediator. He has gone between God and us And He has made the way for us to enter into the Father's presence. But even still, Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father praying for us right now. If that doesn't comfort you, I don't know what will. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7 says. He ever lives. He's not like a priest in the Old Testament who lived, served, died, and then they raise up the next priest. Jesus lives eternally. He ever lives in the Father's presence, ministering to the Father and praying on our behalf. That is the role of our great Savior and High Priest, Jesus Christ. And He said, I will go to the Father and I will ask. I will ask of Him that He will send you a helper. Now, do you think that God would, the Father would answer the Son's prayer? Of course He would. Of course He would. And we know that He did because the helper has indeed come. Now, the Helper Himself, the Holy Spirit, is also a mediator. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, also comes alongside and serves us and pleads on our behalf 
to the Lord. And we'll talk more about that. But it's actually built into the name. The term helper that Jesus gives to describe the Holy Spirit, the Greek word is parakletos. And it's two words, and it means called alongside. Called alongside. It's one who is an advocate, one who is an intercessor, one who is a consoler or a comforter or a helper, which is why it's rendered that way. And so Jesus has prayed to the Father that the Father would send the Holy Spirit to the disciples and to us, that He would be our helper, amen, that He would be our comforter, that He would be our counselor, that He would intercede on our behalf to the Father in times of weakness and greatest need. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 8 tells us. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Just take a moment, soak that in. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes. There's the word. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He searches hearts. And He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we have the Holy Spirit who knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows everything about you. The Holy Spirit of God, He knows everything about you far beyond what you even know about yourself. But He also knows the mind of God because He Himself is God. And so He communicates the Holy Spirit to the Father on our behalf, interceding for us in our own weakness. The Bible says, with groanings too deep for words. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds intense, right? Uh, I've heard it said, like, when we don't even know how to pray, when we are just in anguish of soul, and all we can do is, is just groan at times under the weight of confusion, despair, doubt, desire, pain, suffering, loss, the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what to ask. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf to the Father, and the Son is right at the Father's side interceding as well. Now that ought to bring comfort to the Christian. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know where you're at, but God knows. The Holy Spirit knows. Jesus knows. And they are interceding on your behalf, praying perfectly for you, knowing just what you need, and the Father will absolutely answer those prayers. Yes and amen. Brothers and sisters, that is something to be comforted by. What a ministry the Holy Spirit fulfills for us as our great intercessor, as the one who goes to God on our behalf. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be another helper. He said, I'll pray to the Father that He'll send you another helper. Now that word another, it's significant. One Bible commentator, he says that it's an ancient Greek word that means another of the same kind. Sometimes when we say another, it can mean something different. Paul told the, the Christians in Galatia, if anyone preaches any other gospel... It's another gospel. It's a different gospel. Let them be accursed. But here, it's another of the same kind. 
Just as Jesus shows the nature of God the Father, so the Holy Spirit, being another of the same kind, would show the nature of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect communication of the Father to us. Amen? Am I putting you all to sleep? I, I can't tell if y'all are... Usually I got a, a good hold on, uh, you know, I can tell where we're at, but I'm, I'm kind of like lost here. So, okay, you're into what I'm saying? Amen. That's what I want. Okay, praise the Lord. It's another of the same kind. And just as Jesus communicated to us so beautifully the heart and the nature and the will of the Father, the Holy Spirit does the same for Jesus. He communicates to us. He leads us to the truth. He helps us. And the idea here is that Jesus could not be in their presence any longer. Jesus was with the disciples for three, three and a half years, and now he's going to be gone. Is all hope lost? Was this, did this break down God's plan? Oops, what are we going to do now? No, Jesus is going to do something even better. Jesus is going to go back to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is going to come, and it's going to be like having Jesus with us all the time, every single person throughout history that trusts in Christ. And so Jesus says, I will send another helper, a comforter, a consoler, an advocate, just like me. And Jesus said that the Spirit will be with you, and then He will be in you. Now that's very significant. The Holy Spirit will be with you, and He will be in you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This was revolutionary. This was radical in the New Testament because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. He would leave, come alongside people. But here we're told that the Holy Spirit is going to dwell within. That's new. This is a new thing here that Jesus is promising them. And this was only possible because of what Christ has accomplished. The Holy Spirit could not indwell us. We could not be the temple of the Holy Spirit until Jesus Christ paid for our sins and made us clean. Now, we know that we sin and we struggle with sin and we feel the weight of our sin, but when God looks at us, He sees Christ. He sees Christ's perfections. And so we have been sanctified, we've been set apart, we are justified by faith in God's sight, and He's pleased for His Holy Spirit to dwell within us, and we are the temples of God. The indwelling ministry, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, this is what radically changes us. When the Holy Spirit comes in, that is the the rebirth. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, that is to have the Holy Spirit indwell you and regenerate you and bring you into the newness of life. Romans 8, 9 says it like this, 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Did you catch the pattern there? That over and over dwells in you. 
Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we are alive in Christ. We have Christ. Christ is in us, and we are in Him through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that happens at the moment you trust Christ for salvation. Now, some people have some some goofy and unfortunate understandings of the Holy Spirit, and there have been times where many Christians even believed you could be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. And so you're saved, then you got to get the Holy Spirit. And what that would essentially look like is speaking, praying and speaking in tongues. Now you got the Holy Spirit, right? That was a, a, a whole very huge movement, and that is patently false. When you trust Christ Jesus for salvation, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Amen? You have the Holy Spirit. You are walking in the newness of life. The old you has died, has died with Christ and is buried in the newness of life, the new you, the new nature, the new man, the new woman, alive in Christ and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is with us. And Jesus said that the Helper would be with us for what? Forever. Very good. The Holy Spirit would be with us forever. Now this is also new. This is also unique and distinct from the Old Testament. Because as I have already said, the, old, the Spirit would come upon somebody, but then leave them. Which is why David in Psalm 51 said, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We don't have to pray that prayer. He won't take His Holy Spirit from us. We have the Holy Spirit forever. Forever. The Holy Spirit is with us. We won't lose the Holy Spirit When your heart is made alive, when you are brought from death to life, when you are brought out of the darkness into the light, that's forever. That's permanent. You can't be dead, then alive, then dead, then alive, then dead, then alive. It's permanent. It's forever. And that's not supposed to embolden us to live sinful lives without fear of consequence, That is supposed to give us assurance of salvation, and that is supposed to bring us to a deeper place of gratitude and love and confidence and obedience, because we're serving the Lord from a place of rest and confidence, because we have the Holy Spirit doing the work in us, and we have the Holy Spirit forever, amen? And so Jesus said, I'm here with you for a time, and I'm leaving, and where I'm going you cannot come, but the Holy Spirit is coming, and He will be with you forever forever. Praise God for that. Ephesians 1 describes it like this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, You are sealed. And we're told that this is a guarantee. This is like God saying, it's that word guarantee, it's down payment. God is going to make good. He who began a good work is faithful to bring it to completion. And just to demonstrate to you that God is serious and He means what He says and all of His promises are yes and amen, He says, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit as a down payment. Just to show you that I mean business and He will see you through to the very end. Now, this idea of being sealed, what exactly does that mean? 
Well, another commentator, he describes it like this. God's own spirit comes to indwell the believer and secures and preserves his eternal salvation. The sealing of which Paul speaks refers to an official mark of identification placed on a letter. So the idea would be, and you've probably seen this in movies, where they would have a scroll or something and then they would put um, wax on the, on the edge of the paper where it overlaps and they would have like a little signet ring with a person's, um, I don't know, whatever it, it, you would call it, it's a, some mark of identification, and they would roll it over that seal and it would be closed and if the seal was broken, you know somebody got into it. But it, it wasn't just for that reason. He says that it was, um, excuse me, let me drop. The document was thereby officially under the authority of the person whose stamp was on the seal. So it was under the authority of the person who sealed it. And so the significance of the seal is security, authenticity, ownership, and authority. That's what it is to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is security, it is God's authenticity, it is His ownership, and it is His authority. The Holy Spirit is given by God as a pledge of the believer's future inheritance and glory. The Holy Spirit is in us and with us forever, amen? The Holy Spirit is with us forever and we are sealed. And that is God's, by God's authority, by God's security, God's authenticity, and so praise God that we can rest in that. If that doesn't bring us comfort, I don't know what does. We are sealed. We are in God's hands. Nothing can change that. Nothing can shake or break that. Nothing can stop that because it's God's doing. I think it's also important to mention here as we kind of move on a little bit, the Holy Spirit is a He. It's a person. Now that's kind of strange because He's not flesh and blood, he's spirit, but the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as a he. And so what that means is the Holy Spirit is not an it, the Holy Spirit is not some kind of an impersonal force, you know, like the force is with you, that kind of thing. People think that that's what the Holy Spirit is like, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has personality. And so we can interact with the Holy Spirit. He's, it's, he's not a force, as I said. And the Bible uses language that really drives this home. Ephesians 4.30 says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we, when we sin, when we choose to transgress or go against God's goodness... That grieves the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, essentially, I mean, what we're essentially saying is He has feelings, as it, as it were. It sounds weird even saying that, but, you know, the Holy Spirit is, has personality. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. Acts 5.3 But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And so... It's important for us to understand that. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is a He. He has personality, personhood, essentially. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. 
Now, Jesus is the truth. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the very truth of the Father, the truth of God. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit points us to the truth. John 16, verse 13 says that the Spirit of truth, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is an agent of God's truth. He is the Spirit of truth. He's not a spirit of error, which the Bible talks about. And He is holy. He is the Holy Spirit. Have you ever taken that into consideration before? He is the Holy Spirit, which means that if we're filled with Him, we're going to be holy. We too shall be holy. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've seen some pretty bizarre things before of people who were saying they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, have you? I mean, you go on YouTube, I've seen people literally on all fours with someone walking around with a leash on their neck and they're, and they're barking like a dog and saying that's a manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an extreme one. I will give you that. But you know, there's a lot of them and they're not, they're not much better. And so that to me doesn't sound like holiness. That to me doesn't sound like a manifesta- manifestation of being filled with God's Holy Spirit. He's holy and He is full of truth, and He points to the truth. He's the Spirit of truth. And I love what Jesus says here, He will glorify Me, He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. That is one of the major ministries of the Holy Spirit. He points people to Christ. He points people to Jesus. That is amazing to me. But that is one of the major ministries of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. That's why I think that when there are you will see people who, they're all about the Holy Spirit constantly. Something's out of balance there because the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus and revealing Jesus to people and opening people's eyes and hearts to the truth of Jesus. So if you're really a Holy Holy Spirit-filled person, you're going to be a person who is exalting Christ. A church that is filled with the Holy Spirit is going to be a church that is making much of Jesus. Amen? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and He will take what is mine and He will declare it to you. He will declare it to you. Just a couple more things here before we wrap it up. Jesus also said of the Holy Spirit that the world doesn't know Him. That the world cannot receive Him. The world does not believe, receive the things of God. The world, the Bible describes the world as this this system of belief that is under the control of Satan and rejects the truth and the values and the things of God. And so the Holy Spirit knows nothing of the truth of Christ, nothing of, the world knows nothing of the Holy Spirit, the truth of Christ. In John 16 it says, verse 13, excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians 2 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
Apart from Christ, the world, they don't know this hope. They don't know this comfort. They don't believe or have this reality. And Jesus said that's how it would be. The world doesn't know him. The world can't receive him. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that this can be true, that we can have the indwelling work and ministry of the Comforter. And Jesus says to them that they will not be orphaned, but that He will come to them. Amen? They will not be orphaned, but He will come to them. Really, all of that and those, what, four verses? Three verses. That's amazing, isn't it? So much there regarding the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus said, He's going to come to them. So what, what's going on here? Jesus said, I'm going away. My Father's going to send you a helper. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Well, this is a reference to the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And that's why the Bible even refers to the Holy Spirit at times as the Spirit of Christ. That's amazing to me. That's a, we don't have time to get into that. That's a whole other thing. But I just wanted to draw your attention to that because I believe even that is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So all of this is ours. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer. This is the hope and the comfort to the believer. And we need that now just as much as the disciples needed it then. And that promise wasn't just for the disciples then, it's for all believers through all generations. And that is a promise for us here and today. And it's important for you to understand who the Holy Spirit is and the function and the role of the Holy Spirit so that you can walk in that, so that you can know that these truths, these promises are available to you, so that you can receive the help and the comfort and the consolation and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It is for us. It is for us. Why? Because Jesus loves us. Because Jesus said that we would never be alone. He wouldn't leave us orphaned. He would send us a helper. We need help, don't we? We need help. I don't have a problem saying that. I need help. I need God's help. And I need everything that God has for me and nothing less. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. This Christian life, it's easy, ain't it? No, it's hard. It's hard, and we know this. What's easy is going the way of the world. That's why the, the, the road to destruction is wide, and many there are that find it, right? Because the path to life is narrow. It's a hard road. But God has not left us alone. He's given us a helper to see us through to the very end, to give us all that we need in Him to be able to stay on that road and to make it to the very end. We have what we need, brothers and sisters. We have it in abundance. Why? Because God loves us, because Jesus loves us, and because Jesus promised that he would never leave us alone, that he would send us a helper. Amen? All right, well, let's pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these few verses here and all that is revealed to us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how he intercedes on our behalf, how he brings comfort, how he reveals truth how He points us to Christ, how He seals us and guarantees our salvation to the day that we enter into glory. Thank You for the Holy Spirit. Thank You that He's with us forever, never to leave us. Thank You, Lord, 
Fill us, Lord, afresh. We want to walk by the Spirit. We want to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.